Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to a very special edition of the Steam Cleaners podcast. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about two games today, maybe even three games today. Ooh. Um, <laughs> of course, the central conceit of the show is that my lovely co-host and I play different games every two weeks, and we talk about them on this show. And that co-host is named Walter C. Eddie Svetchuk. Walter, how are you doing? I am doing very, very well. Uh, as this podcast comes out, uh, not as we're recording it, uh, I am home in the uh, the Rough Drafts uh, Rochester location as we're recording this. Uh, but as it comes out, I am currently in Boston. Uh, I, my uh, partner and I have uh, have wanted to take some vacations, especially well. When COVID was kind of winding down, we had wanted to take some vacations and Boston was one of the like, you know, within driving distance cities that we wanted to go to and uh, said, hell yeah, like I haven't been here since 2016 when I came for PAX. So I wanted to come back. I wanted to visit. So um, it is Monday. So by now we have we've gone to Provincetown. Uh, we have probably gone to Salem and done some some spooky stuff. And uh, I believe we also have gone to a Red Sox game at Fenway. Uh, Chase, nice. I, I know I know you have some connections to the, the greater Boston area. What, what do you like about the city? Because I think it's one of my favorite cities in the U.S. Well, I, I do have uh, quite a bit of experience there. You know, my sister got her doctorate at Northeastern because she's wicked smart. Uh, <laughs> it's just it's a really fun city because it's got that younger energy to it right it's such a college town the number of colleges just in the metro area i think it's something like 50 something colleges um so you have a lot of bars a lot of uh, all the things that young people like to do they're all there all easily accessible there's a metro system that actually works and if you're going to fenway i gotta tell you there is no place to watch a baseball game like fenway there are plenty of fan bases that will tell you that they are passionate about their team and i'm sure there are a lot who really do um, care when their team is doing quite well. But I have never seen a city so loud when watching a baseball game for a team that is bad in the past. <laughs> it does not matter. They Boston fans love the Red Sox. They love being at Fenway. And when Sweet Caroline comes on in the seventh inning, there is nothing quite like it in all of baseball. So... I hope you have a lovely time uh, and get to enjoy everything that that city has to offer, uh, including some some lovely uh, clam chowder. Always a classic uh, when you can grab it in Boston. But I imagine, Walter, that the video game you played over this last uh, stretch since our last uh, recording session uh, had nothing to do with Boston. I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say you were up to something completely different. So what is it that you've been playing recently? Well, so it, it, it's funny you bring up the last time you recorded. Because I am on vacation, we actually like shortened our recording schedule. Um, and just because of some like life stuff, I have not had uh, a lot of time to play video games. Or um, because of what has happened you know, here recently in upstate New York, um, haven't really felt the, the desire um, to want to play many video games. Um, so I'm kind of relying on what I've been just sort of playing off and on the last like month or so, uh, interspersed when I was playing Destroy All Humans. Um, and I'm going to talk about two games today, mainly just because, um, the, the first game that I'm going to talk about here, NBA 2K21, I have a lot of like rehashing from the, the Madden episode. Um, 
sports games to me are sort of the other version of of a time killer that like League of Legends is. It's it's like hey, you know, I'm home from work. I just want to unwind for like an hour to two hours. I'm just going to throw on a sports game because at the end of the day, like I don't really have to think. I don't have to like mechanically. I don't really have to like worry about a whole lot of shit. I don't have to worry about tracking quests. I can just like sit back and, and play basketball. And it's really ironic I bring up mechanics because 2K21 changed the shooting mechanics system of the of the um series to where it's way more focused on making sure that you have the right shot timing that you're aiming right reality is is that they've really tried to push the use of the right controller stick the right analog stick as your multi-purpose it's how you shoot it's how you perform your, your dribble moves it's how you do fancy passes all of these things in a way that i just for me is such a a very 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 casual player fucking sucks like Mm. i'm not playing a basketball game i'm not playing a football game i'm not playing a baseball game because i want like this highly intense mechanic that i have to spend hours and hours and hours mastering just to be like semi-decent at the game um, one of the things is like when I play basketball games, I do one of two things. I either do a franchise mode where at the beginning of it, I trade for like one or two players that I want. Uh, in my instance, I love the Nuggets. So one of my, and I love Luka Doncic. So one of my goals is always to put Luka and Nikola Jokic together. I like, and granted that team never works out like great. It ends up just being like the Luka show and Jokic is just like 10 points and 20 rebounds. Um, uh, but that's like fun to me, but, uh, or I play the career mode. And going back again to the Madden episode, I fucking hate career modes where the developers are like, all right, but we got to like write this really like in-depth story and we have to make this like huge emotional connection and we got to make it like this really complicated RPG. It's like, fuck it, dude. Like, no, like I just want to get drafted by a team and I just want to like, you know, maybe for half of my first season come off the bench and then I want uh, an in-game thing to finally let me start a game. And then when my overall is high enough, I just want to be a starter. And I just want to win championships. And I just want to watch myself dunk on LeBron or whoever. And I'm so sick of sports games career modes just being fucking awful. It seems like such a slam dunk. And yes, that pun is intended. Like, all you need to do is give a character, your character, who, I mean, whether you're building yourself or you're building some kind of absurd, fun concept because you would love to see a player that fits that description in the league, you just want to get that growth angle, right? You want to see it play out over a number of years and and enjoy it. And it it does feel like they overdo it a lot. And I, I don't, I'd be curious because obviously this is made by 2K rather than uh, Madden, uh, which is made by EA. Is is it the same kind of problem? Is Are there any differences in how they try to aim it that uh, create different problems? Like what what is it that really 2K is uh, worse. gets in the way? It's fucking okay. worse. So part of part of what I want to blame this on, and I don't want to blame it on the the athletes or the people involved in that esport, is the 2K League. 
Because it is very clear that they have made this game, and I'm going to assume 2K22, I have not played 2K22, but they have geared it to try and be this esport. So that's why they wanted to add something that's like more mechanically intensive to the shooting and the dribbling and the passing. That's why now, instead of just being like, hey, you just have attributes and you increase, like you earn points for the attributes and you increase them however you want, now you have to have like an archetype. And once you like start off and you decide what archetype you want, you're like locked into it. So like my archetype, I, I didn't do what I do back in the old school days, which is I didn't make like a seven, three center and shut off goaltending and do all that jazz because that's not like rewarded. It's, I made myself a point guard, but because I played a little bit of just like exhibitions and thought the shooting mechanics were just hard and I didn't want to play with them, I made him like a Russell Westbrook type where he's like a slasher driving to the hoop, layups, all this jazz. Because it's way easier to like score a bunch of points through layups in these games and then sort of build your way up and then build up your uh, your attributes to then get your shooting and then you know by the time you're into like your third or fourth year you're actually a pretty decent shooter this game like penalizes that it limits how many points you can put into these like attributes and says like nope you're only gonna get to be like an 80 overall dunker or, or a 65 overall shooter no matter how many points you're willing to put into it and the entire point of like playing a career mode is your uh, mode is you're playing a power fantasy like, I'm never going to be in the NBA. I'm never going to be in the NFL. Like, let me fucking create a player that, like, sort of looks like me or looks however I want it to look with my name and go fucking 82-0 and 0 and slam dunk over LeBron James as much as I want. I don't need these, like, super nuanced stories where it's like, well, my father who died didn't make it to the NBA so, like, I'm following in his footsteps, and, I, like, I haven't always played basketball. I actually was a football player, and then, like, my senior year of high school, I finally decided to play basketball. And then there's this thing where, like, you, one of your dad's friends wants to be, like, your agent. And then when you get drafted, like, one of the cool things I do like is you can pick the team that, that drafts you. So, like, you can guarantee if your favorite team is the Boston Celtics, you can guarantee you'll be on the Boston Celtics. Or at least I think you can. Like, I've only played through it once. But I picked what team I wanted to be on, and it put me on that team. But not only does it do that, it gives that team also the first pick to pick this guy Henderson Cobb. Or Hendricks Cobb, who is also, in my case, is also a point guard. So they drafted both of us at the same time. We're both eating up each other's minutes. And, like, I'm not having my power fantasy. And, like, I understand when a player first gets drafted into the league, they're not going to be, like, Michael Jordan. But in older games, it at least felt like I was I was good. Like, I, was, I could control myself and, like, I could accomplish things. And it felt like I was getting, like, my character was getting better much quicker than I am in this version of it. To the point where I, at one point, I had played a game and I was just so fucking annoyed with it that I was, like... I don't like the shooting mechanics of this game. I'm going to go back and play, try and play career mode in 2K20 because I still had it installed for some reason. And, oh, by the way, since the servers were shut off uh, for 2K20 and they use the VC currency for your, like, you earn VC currency by playing games and then you can spend that on attribu attribute points. Yeah, since the 2K20 servers are offline, you can no longer play career mode unless you already had a career save. <laughs> Of course. Like, of are course. you fucking kidding me? Like, 
I I uh, I was just so mad because I didn't I didn't get what I wanted. I just wanted to play a power fantasy where I could go for like forty points a game, hit a couple threes, get some dunks. And, like, no, I've got to play with... And, like, not only that, but, like, the port to PC is just shitty. Like, it's not great. It feels clunky. It feels sluggish. It almost feels like I'm playing Destroy All Humans again, just with the amount of times that the models, like, bump into each other and get stuck. And, like, the amount of times I got called for three-second violations in this, it, like, playing it, the five or six hours I played it is, like, fucking astronomical to me just because I'm trying to move my player through the lane and it gets stuck and then, like, as I'm trying to, like, maneuver my way, it's like, oh, nope, three-second violation. Like, fuck, dude. I I just, it was not what I wanted. It didn't help me relax. And I was just, like, pissed off the entire time playing it. It does sound unnecessarily frustrating. Uh, I hadn't thought about the 2K League angle, but of course that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and... It, I get why you would do it, but make that its own mode then, right? Like, have a toggle where you can have it be either the classic career or you have it be, you know, the the eSport version, you know, right. whatever they want to call it, right? Right. When I turn off the shoot stick and I just want to press X and hold X, like, I don't want to deal with the fucking timing. I don't want to deal with the aiming. I, I just, like, just have it be the character has X amount of attribute points and like let it go in and i thought there was a mode that did that but it just it didn't feel like it like i had the same attribute points as another player and i went to an exhibition game just to practice shooting with that player versus like my created superstar and like that player hit way more shots than mine did and like i even set the the shooting like um the the animation to be the same thing and like i it, it didn't matter it, like, didn't matter that the attributes were the same or the shooting mechanics were the same. It was just, like, my career player just wasn't hitting those shots. It was frustrating. I was angry. I, I'm i sad because, like, not having a console means I really don't have sports games to play because I have to deal with these really crappy ports. Um, so, yeah. Like, I had uninstalled it at one point to try and play on 2K20. I couldn't play career mode on that. So then I reinstalled this and, like, grumbled through two more games before I finally was just, like fuck it dude i'm done like i don't want to play this anymore if you like basketball games like it's the only basketball game on the market right now unless you're gonna play like real human basketball or something like that and it's just so disappointing that like ea and 2k have such a fucking monopoly on these sports games and aren't challenged to make them better they're just challenged to like hey make make one with the new roster who cares if it yeah. works <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is one of those, right, that's so cynical, the idea of, well, you turned off the servers, so I guess you have to play the new one, right? And it'll only be a matter of time before the 2K21 servers are turned off, so you have to play 22 or 23, because it won't be worth the money for 2K to keep it going, because that's the only thing that matters when they're making these kinds of calculations. It's very cynical. Um, but the good news is that uh, if you do find an off-brand sports game like Super Mega Baseball 3, which was the first one that I talked about um, on the podcast, then you just watch EA buy them anyway and know <laughs> that you're never going to get a game as good as that one ever again. So that's good. Going great, the sports game <laughs> industry. Um, but I think there might be something else that you got a chance to play uh, this last week as well. Is that correct? There, there is. I... Um... This game, I got it from the, the itch.io bundle for, for Ukraine. 
And it was one of them when I was like looking through it, through them, it just looked interesting to me. Um, it's called Cloud Gardens and the, the gardening aspect of it, because my girlfriend is, is very into like gardening. And we actually this past weekend went out and, and finally bought some plants, bought some herbs and stuff um, to start growing just, you know, kind of around the apartment here. Um, it like stood out to me and the, the description about it, um, it, a chill game about using plants to overgrow abandoned wasteland dioramas. That is like the tagline um, on itch.io. And, and again, with, you know, what happened over this past week and the, the shooting in Buffalo, um, I, I wanted something to escape. Um, and I didn't, I didn't want a game. I didn't want like a traditional, like I could have gone and played, you know, I could have played Destroy All Humans. I could have gone and played, uh, Skyrim. I could have played, you know, any of these things, but, but none of those seemed seemed right. None of them seemed like the escape that I mentally really, really needed or wanted. I didn't want to think, um, I didn't want to be emotionally tied to anything. I, di I didn't want narrative. I didn't want any of that. I just sort of wanted to shut my brain off and just exist, you know, um, just exist away from the world for a little bit in my own little, you know, kind of bubble in my, in my office, essentially. And this game is very simple. It is, you have uh, seeds, and then you co you collect a variety of seeds as you go through the levels. And I, I have not played a lot of this game. I've played just just under two hours and like, you know, 20 minute block here, 20 minute block there, you know, whatever. Just kind of when I was like, I'm just going to open it and just, you know, play through a couple levels. Um, and the the goal of it is you are presented with this diorama, this this like apocalyptical wasteland kind of diorama think, think of like a little block from like fallout you know like a little section of fallout and the goal is that you are trying to grow the plants to overgrow this little diorama this little section and how they grow is you you plant the seed and then you're given items that then fit into the diorama. It could be as large as a car. It could be as little as a, a, a you know beer bottle or a gnome or a chair or you know all these different things. And as you as the plants grow, then they produce fruit. And as you collect the fruit, then that builds up, and then you can place a different seed. And you can choose whether you want it to be the same plant or one of the other plants that you collected. You can sort of shuffle that up. In certain plants, you need to collect, you know, more fruit to be able to plant and, or less fruit to be able to plant and, and so on and so forth. And um, there's also like a, like a little like screenshot system that you can take or, or um, little videos that you can take that sort of will show um, how the, uh, how the seed grows that when we post the episode, I'll, I'll, um, I'll save a couple of them to my to my phone so that when this episode goes out, I can you know add a couple of them into the thread so you can sort of see what it looks like. Um, but it was exactly what I was looking for, and I don't know. I doubt I'll probably play it, you know, much beyond this, other than maybe just again. I got twenty minutes here, and I just I really just need to shut my brain off and just just zone out for a little bit. It it is it is extremely zen. To just, it's sort of like unpacking, um, going back to that, where it's this very zen, you know, you throw the seed in there and then you just sort of put stuff wherever you think it fits. And then as it's going, the, the object of the level is you're trying to have the plant over, the plants overgrow 
a certain percentage of the level and down to the left corner there'll be a percentage marker and you're trying to get that up to a hundred percent now that doesn't mean every square inch of the map is then covered by plant but there is you know there is a progression system that it's building towards and there is this you know tree of levels that you're essentially going through and um it's there was something really serene about just kind of sitting there and the music and it, it it's great it's this great kind of um synth vaporwave kind of just relaxation music to just like i i you know didn't have anything up on any of my other screens i just had this one game open and i was just sort of clicking around and and letting the the music and the gameplay and the the background visual just kind of take me away to to dreamland essentially for Mm -hmm. you know 20 30 minutes here and there um i feel like sometimes you need that you don't need anything that's really complicated you don't need anything that's um that's like super in-depth narrative storytelling any of those things sometimes you just need some some chill music uh, uh something pretty to look at and just some some pointing and clicking um and i i yeah. i can't recommend this game any higher i i know um if you look it up on steam it's like 18 bucks um it, it is on switch uh xbox uh and windows obviously you know through steam um and yeah, if you just want something, it, if you just want something to chill, and like the the level, it can be a little co- like it can be a little frustrating sometimes because sometimes the plant just doesn't grow the right way, um, and it doesn't, you know, you don't hit that one hundred percent, and now you have no more items left to place, and you're like, fuck, how do? We, and you have to redo the level, um, but yeah, it's it's zen, it, it's it's really zen, and it, it really it really helped me out this week, so I, I want to. Um, I want to give uh, Noyo Thomas Vanderberg, the developer, uh, a, a, a you know pat on the back, a, a round of applause because uh, it's it's a good little game. It's a cute little game. Uh, developer is also known for um, Kingdom, the Kingdom games. Uh, he is one of the developers on that. Um, so it's a cute little game. I've seen I've seen like Kingdom around before, and I I want to play it at some point. Um, but I feel like this was a nice little. A nice little game that you know in a time where i kind of needed something yeah you know the picture is having looking at a, an article that kotaku put together some of the screenshots they have it does look very uh beautiful in its own way right seeing kind of nature take back some of these uh old signs of civilization um i, I you know games like that really can be quite powerful right my my go-to when i was in college and needed a space to kind of zone out was a uh, Zen bound two, which was a, a puzzle game uh, with very peaceful music. And all you had to do was try to wrap uh, as much of the kind of stone piece that you were given with rope. And you had a certain length of rope. So you had to cover as much as you could uh, in that uh, with that limited amount. Uh, it was very peaceful. Games like that really can go uh, a long way. Now from a, is there like a, a an official story in this game? Which I, I ask mostly because uh, reading this article, it talks a lot about that kind of environmental storytelling, but it also seems to hint that there are like notes and things that you can find. Is that is that a thing, or is that something that like 
this writer put into the game just out of curiosity if there were notes and things i never found any of them um got it again like i wasn't playing i was playing this as like to me i was playing this game like it was a sudoku puzzle where it was just very simple place the things grow the plants beat the level kind of move on i would stop and take like photos of some of them and adjust with some of like the lighting settings that you could have um like that um if there is a story i i can definitely see how like there is with the environment there's a story that is being told uh, of sort of this like wasteland area i could definitely see that um but i wasn't if there's a story there i wasn't looking for it at all um fair so i i can't speak to that (laughs) It it does sound very relaxing, and I I do think uh, there's definitely a place for games like that. Uh, The game I played this week, well, technically I played uh, a bit ago, but to be honest, I didn't play much this week because I haven't had as much time as we typically do. Uh, My roommate wasn't free to go through uh, the game that I will hopefully be talking about next time. Uh, And I've already talked about Super Mega Baseball. So you know what? I'm going back to a game that I played last year before we had a podcast in which I could talk about this stuff. Uh, And that would be Inscription. Inscription, of course, being the most recent game by Daniel Mullins, who is one of the weirdest and most interesting game developers working today. Um, For people who uh, do not know Daniel Mullins, uh, you may have heard of Pony Island which is very much a kind of surreal horror game uh, in which you have to fight back against kind of a demonic entity that has possessed what looks on the surface to be this very peaceful, colorful game uh, and literally rewrite the code in order to fight back against its corruption. Uh, And then it had The Hex, which was uh, a game that was very much about all games, Like there were six characters, each of which were their own genre and had their own stories, their own secrets that all kind of culminated in this weird, esoteric, surrealist kind of narrative. And that's that's what he does. He does a lot of like this very self-aware kind of evaluation of the nature of games and game design and the things that we take for granted and the things that make them work and the things that can unsettle us by breaking the rules as we understand them. And inscription is that, but for card games. And as Walter, I know, you know, uh, and I, I think some, uh, quite a few of the people listening to this podcast may be aware card games are my shit. That's the thing that I have the, the genre I have the most experience with, you know, going back to the old, Uh, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh trading cards and played way too much Hearthstone, played way too much Elder Scrolls Legends, currently playing way too much Legends of Runeterra. Card games have always been my thing. So when you tell me that Daniel Mullins, the guy who has a deep understanding and appreciation for games as a genre and loves to subvert those expectations in a way that is creepy and unsettling and surreal and unique like there's not there's no other game that plays like pony island does or plays like the hex does or plays like inscription does for that matter i I knew i had to play it uh despite the fact that i am 
uh, a wimp and a coward when it comes to all things horror. Uh, I make an exception for Daniel Mullins. I, w- I so was going to say clever. I was going to say Chase last last podcast we said you'd never touch a horror game, and here I am looking at the opening sentence of Inscription on Steam, and I see the tagline "psychological horror." <laughs> It is psychological more than it is horror, I would say, from my personal experience with it. There was never, you know, it doesn't do like the jump scare thing. There isn't a lot of gore or or any of that. Like when you think about horror, those things uh, aren't there. What you have is something that is deeply, thoroughly unsettling from start to finish. Um, and it starts with you in this kind of haunted cabin playing against this very creepy old man in what is essentially a roguelike. Um, All of your deck is made out of animals. Uh, You have to literally sacrifice them uh, in order to summon stronger animals. And you can, like, they will make uh, noises when you do so. Uh, They will leave bones behind, which you can then use to summon certain other creatures. It is, again, throughout, deeply unsettling, but it is a very tight, very good roguelike game uh, to the extent that uh, quite a few people never wanted that part of the game to end. Uh, You know, and so you're you're building up these cards and you start with a stoat and the stoat talks to you and tells you that this guy you're playing against, Lashai, is up to some very bad shit and you have to get out of there as best you can, which means you need to start exploring the cabin around you, uh, solving puzzles to get new cards, more powerful cards to bu- uh, bolster the starting deck that you have, uh, to get upgrades to the things that you can already do, um, to, uh, increase the number of lives that you have on an individual run, uh, all, all of these things. Um, and, like, they'll talk to you as you're playing the game. And the stoat will tell you when you screw up. And they're like, oh, I think that one's a bad move. And it's like, fuck you, stoat. I'm doing my best here, okay? Um, and I will admit, this game was hard when I first started playing it because unlike a lot of other roguelikes, it is a game in which value is almost never the thing that you should be prioritizing. It is not about winning the board. It is not about making sure that you are trading up. It is about rushing your opponent down. Um, Essentially, rather than having a health pool, there's you and there's uh, the opponent and you're all on a single scale. And whenever you deal damage, you move it closer to their side. Whenever they deal damage, they move it closer to yours. Uh, And you start noticing after a little bit, oh, those counters look a lot like teeth. And one of the earliest things you get is a set of pliers. And if you need an extra point of damage, Walter, you can click on the pliers and rip your own tooth out to put on the scale in order to deal a point of damage. That's the kind of game this one is. Um, Unsettling, deeply so. But everything has this kind of cost to it of what are you willing to to take on, right? Um, And and some of that's within the mechanics of the game itself. Uh, There's a, a strategy that becomes very... Uh, important as you are kind of going through the game. Uh, There's a a location, a campfire, where there are these kind of like starving travelers around. 
and uh, you can warm your creatures up by the fire to give them a stat boost. But if you hang out too long, they're going to eat your creature because they're so hungry. But if you feed them something poisonous, everyone dies. And you can warm up at the fire as much as you want at every other location in which that event shows up on the run. Again, unsettling as hell to do. But it, like, feels very thematic. You're doing what you need to do in order to survive. And if it was the other way around, they certainly wouldn't be showing that mercy to you. Um, and they absolutely don't. The, the difficulty in this early section in particular um, definitely ramps up as, as you're trying to, to figure out what each of these different cards do. And then you beat it for the first time. And you're like, ah, I did it. I wonder what, you know, it's a roguelike, so like, I wonder what happens here. And at first, it doesn't seem like a lot has necessarily changed. You know, the the guy, uh, you know, continues to like take a picture of you. And when you lose, it kind of captures your soul and you become a card that you can then collect down the line, um, which is unsettling one because, you know, playing yourself from a previous run always feels weird. But also after a while, you start seeing other people who like it implies that other people have clearly died in the past and like trying to figure out what the hell happened to them and why you're stuck in that loop. It's a whole thing. Um, but after you beat it the first time, it cuts to a sequence of computer files. And suddenly you're introduced to a guy named Luke Carter, who is in theory, the person that you are playing as you're not playing the game. You're playing as Luke Carter, a guy who has a YouTube channel of pack opening type videos for various games, who came across this weird, freaky, like floppy disk found in the middle of the woods somewhere based on a, an IP, you know, like a, a an address they had to um, coagulate um, uh, from, not coagulate, that's not the right word. Um, that you had to put together via clues on these cards that he found from a weird pack that he got at uh, some sort of garage sale. And he starts uncovering that there is some deeply weird shit going on with this game. But you start playing it again, and now he's responding. And, you know, you'll pick a card like the Mantis God, and you'll hear Luke Carter say, oh, yeah, always got to pick Mantis God. And you're like, well, shit, I, <laughs> I wasn't, I forgot that you were here, Luke Carter. But you, like, there, there's just these kind of multiple surrealist layers to it. And everything I have just told you sounds like a lot, right? It sounds like I've given away quite a few details about the game right now, right? Like, we've gone pretty in-depth on some game mechanics and some of these larger questions of, of where the plot is going? Yes, but much like uh, the alligator game you uh, brought up last time, I feel like there's a third butt. There, there <laughs> technically are two more butts. Oh, because all of the roguelike, that's just act one, my friend. And there are three acts of this game. And the second and third act are completely different styles of gameplay. Using the same cards, evolving on the same concepts from the original game that you play, but 
transforming the genre for reasons that I will not get into because I do not want to spoil the plot of this game. I'm not going to tell you anything about what happens to Luke Carter or what he unveils or even any of the ARG stuff because, by the way, there is a huge meta-narrative that you can track down clues based on these weird events that happen to put together this really detailed lore that is hiding underneath the surface when people talk about the old data and whatever the hell that could mean. Um, I'm not going to tell you anything about that, but I will tell you that part two and part three play like completely different genres of card games and explore this idea of everything that these games could have been. Almost like you're discovering like a relic of a game development in which like this older version of the game that was eventually weeded out in favor of what you were originally playing uh, gets into. And there are some people who do not care for that twist, for the record. Uh, There's an entire mod now. It's Cal Casey's mod. Um, And I won't explain why it's named that. You'll have to play the game to find out. But it does turn the initial roguelike section into an endless roguelike for people who just like the roguelike bits. But if you're like me and you enjoy all of card games, then you're going to want to play the trading card game section. You're going to want to play the kind of more uh, collectible uh, card game section where you're upgrading things and adding bit by bit over time. Uh, They all play just a little bit differently. They all have just a little bit of different theming and they all serve this greater narrative and greater meta-narrative that never lets up. And the more you uncover, the more questions that you have, and the ending is a gut punch in the best way. Um, I I can't recommend it more highly. If you like card games, um, it is a game made by someone who clearly loves card games and understands why people love card games and uses that love of card games against you to make something that is deeply twisted uh, in a way that is uh, unsettling but captivating from start to finish. And there really is nothing like it. It's, it's a very unique game from a very unique mind within the video game development sphere. And... I will continue to play everything that Daniel Mullins ever makes because it's just fucking weird. And it's just (laughs) so interesting. And I don't know, that carries a lot for me, you know? Uh, There's just never anything quite like it. And that's always going to have a certain amount of value. There is definitely something to be said for these sort of auteurs that create really, really interesting um games really interesting mechanics that they subvert mechanics that they do all of these things the fact i i I did look up on the wikipedia page just obviously to keep track of something some of the information and the the development story about how this was originally part of a, a game jam in 2018 and then sort of as he tried to build it out and build it out it then became what it becomes and it is essentially you know, three different games inside of one it is so intriguing to me. And the fact that he is able to be, it's a card game. It's a card game for card game players because it's three different card games inside of it. It is really fascinating. I remember when you did, when you did play it and you originally brought it up, 
back towards the beginning of this year that you were you were over the moon about it that you sort of downplayed a little bit of the horror aspect because I like you am a massive wimp. Um, I'm not <laughs> very big into horror things, and I it's on my list. Like you you sold me on it then, and obviously you've resold you know sold me on it now. Um, are there any negatives to it? Is there something that would say like? You know, I'd I'd love to say this is if you're on a desert island, this is the only game you should bring with you. But like, what is there a but to this, or is it just really that damn good of a game? So I will say, for me, not really. I I wouldn't change a thing about the game. But there's a reason that the Casey's mod exists as a free update that was brought to the game. Because if you were to go to the subreddit, for instance, which I do not recommend doing until you've played the game for yourself, uh, both because they talk a lot about lore things that you're going to not want spoiled for you, and also because they are very judgmental of people who have not figured out the game yet, um, and and being you know spoon-fed every strategic thing takes away from some of the fun of discovering certain elements for yourself. But one of the things that's become a very common refrain is that there are people who really love the roguelike, who think that the first act of this game is something truly special, uh, and that they wanted nothing more than to continue with that game. And then the plot moves forward, and you're taken to a different genre of card game. And if you were there for a roguelike, that can be a bit of a bummer because you're like, I really enjoyed the thing that I was doing. I don't want to stop doing the thing that I was doing. Why can't I keep doing the thing that I was enjoying doing? Uh, that threw off a lot of people. And if you look at the reviews, you know, you will get, uh, you know, IGN loved it. Uh, the Game Developers Choice Awards, game of the year. The people who are like in the industry and, and really uh, appreciated some of the, like, the the thought behind it and the way that it explored all of these concepts really enjoyed it. But there's a, a, a certain percentage of people who will uh, later say that, uh, you know, it, maybe it was too smart for its own good. That because, by changing the formula, it gave you something that was different, but not quite as strong. And I do think that, like, especially in Act 3, I was playing more for the story than I was for the game at that point, because it felt like winning the game was an inevitability after a certain point, um, because of the way that upgrades are handled in that particular section of it. Now, there's so much story to it and so much atmosphere that I still ended up really enjoying those sections and finding the hidden rooms where you would find pictures that had been taken from uh, Luke Carter's computer, which is unsettling as hell, right? The, imagine playing a card game and suddenly you see a picture of somebody from your real life and a, a caption about it that you don't remember leaving. And, oh, oh God. Um, like, those, those things certainly work for me. And because I like all different kinds of card games, I didn't see that as a negative. And in fact, I loved the twist that it brought because it allowed the game to explore certain things. Uh, and, and really add a, a twist to the uh, gameplay element before it got stale. But some people are going to tell you that it never would have gone stale. And they know that because now there's a way that you can just play the roguelike section. And people are doing that. And that's the way they want to engage with the game. 
and they want to just keep replaying it uh, and keep adding more challenges and, and treat it like a Slay the Spire type game. Personally, I will never do that. I have no interest in revisiting the game. For me, the game is about the narrative. It's about the way in which it explores what it means to be a card game, what it means to be a video game, the what it means to play these kinds of things, and the way in which your expectations can be subverted and twisted against you to create something that is uh, uniquely powerful. So I didn't play it because I liked the roguelike. I, I played it because I liked the experience of the game. But if you're just looking for a roguelike, you're probably not going to like when sections two and three happen because it's no longer the game that you were really invested in. Um, it's something different now. But something that, in my opinion, is still very much worth exploring. So I I very much enjoy it, and I wouldn't change a thing. But uh, if everybody believed that, then the game wouldn't have gotten the update that it did. So um, that is at least worth acknowledging. But hey, that update's in the game now. If you're listening to this right now and you just want to play the roguelike bit, that's there. It's not going away. Uh, you can enjoy the game on that level. You never have to even touch acts two and three if you decide that the story isn't particularly interesting to you but i honestly find it hard to wrap my head around that concept because the story and atmosphere are so fucking good that i can't imagine wanting to do anything else but hey to each their own both options are there now i think that's that's the big point is is the options is that the fact that people wanted that they did want to do the sort of you know infinite slay the spire style of game because there is that game built into this you know apparently and the you know the developer uh um dan said okay like screw it i'll I'll put it in there since so many people want it and i think that um that means a lot and it means that the game meant a lot to him for him to to go in and and put that amount of effort into it. I don't know how long it took, but I'm going to assume that it wasn't something that he like just went, you know, to his computer, flicked a switch and said, boom, done. Like he probably had to put some time and effort and, and thought into making this, you know, sort of infinite replayability uh, mm-hmm. part of the game. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to assume you recommend the game. Then. <laughs> oh, I recommend this game. I recommend everything that Daniel Mullins has made. I, I recommend Pony Island. I recommend uh, The Hex, and I definitely recommend Inscription. And the reason that I'm putting the emphasis on Inscription is because that's the genre of game that I'm most interested in, that I find the most attachment to. So if you're listening to this and you're not a card game person, but you like the idea of the atmosphere that's being sold and the idea of uh, subverting expectations and whatever else, good news for you. Uh, Pony Island is still there. The Hex is still there. All three of them are among the most interesting, fascinating, uh, engaging games that I have ever played. And I cannot wait to see what Daniel Mullins does next. Even as I know, it will give me nightmares because I am a wimp. But man, it's worth it. Absolutely worth it. Um, Atmosphere, just amazing. Uh, But you know... Hopefully you thought that this podcast was amazing and you want to come back, which you can do if you're subscribed to the feed here, or maybe you're subscribed to the Rough Drafts podcast feed so you can get our final cut podcast, which Walter over here hosts, and uh, we talk about movies on all the weeks we're not talking about games, so uh, you can definitely join us there. Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? 
Uh, you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Uh, like I said, I've been in Boston this weekend, so I'm sure I've uh, I've taken some photos of the things that we've uh, we've been doing there. Um, and yeah, you know, it's uh, hopefully um, I have I have quite a bit of time now until uh, we record the next episode. So I hope I have something that's a little bit meatier and I'm not just going to be, you know, defaulting to some sports game. I I know I haven't talked about FIFA uh, 22 yet. Um, We can talk about that next time. We won't. I promise promise we won't talk about FIFA 22 next time. I'll actually pick a a more substantial game. Well, you heard it here first, folks. He's talking about a meatier game. I'm sure that means he's talking about Cook Serve Delicious 3. Uh, plenty of meat dishes in that game. Oh, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I thought you were going to go Super Meat Boy, um, which is a game I probably would never play. <laughs> oh, God. That one's uh, a great game. Terrible at it. Um, you can follow me uh, at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter if you want to make fun of how bad I am at any sort of platformer game like that. You can follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. Please let us know what you think. If you've played any of these games, uh, we always love hearing from you. And... Uh, We will be back in two weeks to talk about two completely different games. But until then, goodbye, Internet.